Ideally, as you're increasing your calories to get up to your maintenance, your body shouldn't change that much. Like it really shouldn't change. You should start seeing muscle growth. You should start feeling the muscles under that fat. Hey, my name is Leanne Vogel. I'm fascinated with helping women navigate how to eat, move, and care for their bodies using a low-carb diet. I'm a small-town holistic nutritionist turned three-time international best-selling author turned functional medicine practitioner, offering telemedicine services around the globe to women looking to better their health and stop second-guessing themselves. I'm here to teach you how to wade through the wellness noise to get to the good stuff that'll help you achieve your goals. We're supporting your low-carb life beyond the if-it-fits-your-macros conversation. Hormones, emotions, relationship to your body, workouts, letdowns, motivation, blood work, detoxing, metabolism. I'm providing the tools to put your motivation into action. Think of it like quality time with your bestie mixed with a little med school so you're empowered at your next doctor visit. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn about your body and how to care for it better. This is the Keto Diet Podcast. Hello, my friend. I'm so glad that you're here for another episode of the show. You're going to kind of hear some fans in the background. We're going to try our best to take them out of today's episode, but we had a little water damage situation in our home today, and I needed to get this episode out. So we're just rolling with it. We're going to try our best. So if you hear that in the background, I'm sorry. Okay, so today we're talking about a pretty good topic. I'm excited to share this with you. We're talking about weight loss versus body recomposition and the difference between the two, why you should care, why you're spinning your wheels and all of the things. So I'm going to set up our conversation, kind of talking about the differences, talking about my experience, and then bringing in some of the tools that I've used to help my body look different over the last year or so. So we had Natalie Grasso on the show back in September. It was episode 439 labeled Change Your Body with Natalie Grasso. And then a little bit later, episode 443 on October 17th of this year, 2023, I shared the key aspects of successful keto weight loss with Dr. Brian Raid, where he interviewed me on his podcast about a lot of this body recomposition stuff. So if you want to go deeper into these conversations, I've been talking about this a little bit more on the show. So those are the two episodes to check out after you're done with today's episode. And you can just kind of like zoom through your little player and find those episodes. Okay, so weight loss versus body recomposition, why you should care what we're talking about and all the details. So when you think of weight loss, you think of making your body look different that probably involves feeling tighter. That's probably part of it. Showing muscle, looking strong, not bulky, but body recomposition, we don't really talk about. And in fact, when I'm using these words, looking stronger, looking tighter, feeling tighter, looking different, this is actually body recomposition and not weight loss. When we talk about weight loss, all we're talking about is the scale going down. And because fat weighs less than muscle, we are going to, when we're looking at the scale and using it as an indicator for success on a weight loss program, it's not always what we want to go for. Okay. So a really, really good example of this is 
fasting. When you fast, this is why with protein sparing modified fasting, this is why we do this. The PSMF, protein sparing modified fasting, so that we don't lose muscle. So if you've been in the keto space for any length of time, you've probably done a PCMF. We have PSMF rather. We have some episodes on this in previous years where I've done one. We've had guests on the show talking about this. And so this is really like while you're fasting, you are going to be losing muscle. And muscle's really, really, really hard to bring back, especially as we age. And so the purpose of today's conversation is to try my very hardest to convince you that when you jump on the scale, if you're seeing the number go down, it's not always a good thing. If this is coming at severe calorie deficit, a protein deficit, an energy deficit. Okay, so in an example, let's talk about Sally. And Sally, by just sitting on her couch doing nothing, absolutely nothing requires 2000 calories just for her body, for her hair to grow, her nails to grow, her hormones to work, her liver to detoxify, right? All those pieces. She needs 2000 calories. If Sally is only eating 1500 calories, what do you think is happening to Sally's hair and her nails and her liver? Not great, right? Just like a car, a car needs a certain amount of gas. If you don't put gas in that car, it's not going to run. The cool thing about our bodies is we have backups on the backups on the backups. If we're not eating enough calories, we will get the energy from somewhere via breakdown of muscle, for example, and or we will downregulate, our metabolism will downregulate to achieve at 1500 what we used to use 2000 to achieve. And so this is the slippery slope that we get into with weight loss, where when we started our very first weight loss program, maybe we were eating too much. And so we cut it down. Maybe Sally cuts it down to like 1800 and she starts losing weight, but then she stops. And then she cuts it down to 1600 and she starts losing weight and then she stops. And then 1400 and then 1200 and she's gotten all the way down to 800 and she's not losing any weight. And so part of this conversation needs to be number one, Weight loss isn't always the goal. Chances are when you're saying, I want to lose weight, what you're really saying is, I want my body to look different. I've had many, many clients and myself included, I usually hover around, like when I am at my fittest level, I usually hover around 150 pounds and I can look severely different at 150 pounds when I've been working out solid for three years versus 150 pounds when I haven't been working out and I've been indulging. (laughs) And so we're going to talk about kind of what that process has been like for me. But know that when we're seeing the scale go up or down, that isn't necessarily the worst thing, because muscle and fat are a different weight, they're going to weigh differently. And so they're going to also look different on our body, a pound of muscle is going to look very different than a pound of fat on our bodies. Okay, so that's the first part of this conversation. The second part is understanding that if you are not achieving weight loss, and you're kind of not even achieving a body recomposition, your body has not changed at all, it could be a matter of a metabolic deficit. So in the case of the example of Sally, if Sally is just sitting on her couch doing nothing else, she is not active at all, and she requires 2000 calories just to function, 
and she's eating 800 calories and she's not like she's not losing any weight. She has no place to go except further down, which is ridiculous. Please don't do that, Sally. Then she needs to first eat a lot more. And so this then becomes the metabolic reset, a little bit of what I'm going to talk about today in my experience of getting our metabolisms up to a place where we can start to lose weight again. And when we're able to lose weight again, or aka recomp our body, we want to do so in a responsible way. And so for Sally, if her body requires 2000 calories just to sit on the couch and do nothing, then her 10% deficit is going to be 200 calories. And so she could likely expect to change the way her body looks on 1800 calories. Now, the problem with Sally is that she needs to move her body. She can't just sit on the couch and expect for her body to just change. You have to be able to build muscle. And in order to build muscle, you got to move. So maybe Sally starts walking every day. And maybe Sally is walking 500 and burning 500 calories a day. So she's probably walking around, let's call it 10,000 steps a day. So now all of a sudden, Sally requires 2,500 calories a day. And that's where we're going to get to the good stuff. So then if Sally only eats 1,800 calories and now she's at a severe deficit, she probably needs to bring up her calories a bit more. So you can see how in these examples, we really need to understand metabolism and we really need to understand our goals. In order to look different, we need to do different. And I think at least in my experience working with individuals, specifically women ages 40 to 60, a lot of us spend way too much energy focusing on the nutrition side of things and not enough energy focusing on the movement side of things. And that was really my experience. And we'll get into that. Let's just get into it right now. So about 14 months ago, I decided that I was getting lazy with my food, with my movement. It was just not good. I had gained quite a lot of weight. I got up to 169 pounds from like 145 in a short period of time, like five years. And you know the story. It's just, I got lazy in my head. I felt like I was active enough. I was walking on the beach on weekends. I swam when I wanted to. I walked around the neighborhood. I had a rude awakening when I started tracking my steps. And I was lucky if I got 1500 steps a day, that's a total of like 15 minutes of walking in a day. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, my mom had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's and one of the bigger parts to Parkinson's is muscle development and just the necessity around muscle development. And I just thought, you know, if like one day I'm going to be my mom's age, Lord willing, and I want to go into it with a strong body, you know, as I reach 60 and 70 and hopefully 80 and 90, I would just want to have a strong body. And so I thought I'm just going to start moving. Life is a never-ending hustle bustle, right? No matter how hard we try to just juggle things like responsibilities, endless to-do lists, it seems like it's impossible to live without overwhelm. Although I do try my best by saying no to a lot more things than most people, it's still, when we are stressed, it's affecting our overall well-being, our sleep, our productivity, our immune system, and our magnesium level. So here's what happens. This is the vicious stress magnesium deficiency cycle. Stress strikes, our body loses magnesium, sleep becomes elusive, energy and production plummet, stress then skyrockets, and more magnesium escapes your body. And we just go in this loop. 
out of all minerals that I test in my clients, magnesium and potassium are the two ones that are just deficient in most people. I don't think I've ever seen a hair tissue mineral analysis or chatted with an individual that had a good magnesium level, including myself. So when I determined that I was pretty dang low in magnesium, I tried all the things. I looked to magnesium glycinate and magnesium taurate and magnesium malate. And these are all really good forms, but an individual process just isn't going to cut it. When I switched over to Bioptimizer's magnesium breakthrough, oh man, was it a game changer. Now, magnesium breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium, which might support stress management by promoting muscle relaxation, regulating the nervous system, controlling stress hormones, enhancing brain function, boosting energy, and improving sleep. So me personally, I take four capsules a day. I would highly suggest starting off with like two capsules at bedtime and just watch it work. I would encourage you to just give it a shot and break free of this vicious, ridiculous magnesium deficiency cycle. And the great thing is, is that Bioptimizers has a risk-free 365-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't see results, tell them you hate it and simply get a refund. No questions asked. It's a win-win. So if you go to magbreakthrough.com slash keto diet and use the code keto diet 10, you'll get 10% off anything that you order for a limited time only, and you'll receive some special gifts with your purchase. So if you go to magbreakthrough.com slash keto diet, use the code keto diet 10, that's one zero, you can get 10% off any order. And so I've shared this before, so I'll just be brief because we've done a bunch of episodes on it. I started off slow, two times per week, working out in my house. And by house, I mean boat. It's very small. So I just had a couple dumbbells, meaning two dumbbells, a couple of like elastic straps. And I would just use those and do little workouts on YouTube that lasted 20 minutes just to get myself in the groove. By January 2023, I was working out six days a week or six days a week yeah, from home. And that's when I decided to start going to the gym. From there, I worked on my step goals. So I started at 1500 steps per day, like legit. And every week I increased it by 500 until I hit 10,000 steps. And so at that point, I was working out of the gym six days a week. I dropped it down to five because I figured let's not kill those little adrenals. Let's have like two solid rest days. And I kept it at 10,000 steps for quite some time. In July, I dropped it down to 6,000 steps because I was just really overwhelmed and stressed over the step goal. I was having to walk like two hours a day and it was just really stressful and I hated it. So I stopped doing it. And I got a little mini treadmill pad situation for my stand-up desk. And if anyone says, I don't have enough space in my home for this stuff, are you kidding me right now? My office is also my living room. That's also our spare bedroom. And it's a 48-inch I don't even know how much that is in feet, not much, by like five foot space. The reason why I know it's 48 inches is because none of the little treadmill pads would fit. So I had to get a 7% inclined treadmill pad and oh man, I give it. So once I got that little pad, it was a lot easier for me to hit my step goals. Now I'm I'm like very comfortable hitting 13,000 because when I'm working, I'm just walking and I can do little tasks, not big ones. There's no way I could work with a client and walk at the same time. I'd probably fall on my face. So that's kind of the movement piece of things. And I knew that the movement was important because I knew the food was not going to be enough to really make much of a difference. 
especially with the fact that not only did I want to gain muscle, but I wanted to look different. So in order to gain muscle, you can't just eat your way to gaining muscle. You have to do something about it. And most women, when we say, again, when we say, I want to lose weight, what we're saying is that we want to look different. And how to look different, we need to move different. We need to eat different and we need to move different together, together, together. So let's talk a little bit about the diet aspect of things. So I've been keto since 2014 and I got kind of mindless lazy around 2017, just with book tours and stuff. It was more closer to 2018. We moved on to our first boat and we were traveling a lot and I just got lazy. I grabbed a ton of different high fat, healthy snacks, but just like if I was hungry, I would grab a packet of macadamia nuts or pork rinds. And if I looked at it back then, I could very easily say it was way too much fat, not enough protein, and just not enough healthy carbs at all. And I wasn't eating a lot. So when I started working out, I just every couple of weeks, I would track one day to kind of see how I was eating. And it wasn't good. I was eating around 1200 calories average with big swings in my intake. So I'd have one day where I was eating 2,400 calories and then like a ton of days where I was only eating 600 calories and that was more than norm. And so it just wasn't good from nutrient perspective and also for the goal of gaining muscle and making my body look different. So my diet really wasn't conducive of gaining muscle and changing my body. So like I said, I just started tracking what I was eating. Then I slowly worked on one thing at a time. And so once every couple of weeks tracking turned into like once a week and I would check in and be like, okay, I got to increase my protein more. I got to increase my protein more. So that week I would really focus on protein. Then I would track a day and be like, okay, protein's higher. I'm doing a good job. Once I got the protein to a certain place, because we need protein in order to gain muscle and AKA change our body and recomp. Okay. Stop thinking weight loss. Stop saying I want to lose weight and start saying, I want to make my body look different. Okay. Once my protein was at a good level, I needed to decide, do I want to do this keto or do I want to do this macro balanced? What I mean by macro balanced is really keeping the macros at like 30 to 35 each. Okay. So like 30% fat, 30% protein, 30% carb, give or take the other 10% wherever you want to put it. So I decided because I'd never done a macro balanced like workout program for myself that I would give it a whirl. In the past, I've always done like a super, super high carb option. I did vegan. I've done keto and muscle gain before. So this is really the first time where I was like, okay, I'm going to try macro balance because I've never done it before. And so I thought I could learn a bunch and I definitely have about myself and how much I love the ketogenic diet. But it's been a really, really good lesson for me. So I decided that for the first six months of going to the gym and really pushing with my muscles, I wasn't going to cut any calories. I was going to eat to maintenance. So if you remember, I think our example lady was Sally. So you remember Sally on the couch eating 2000 calories just to function. That's her base metabolic rate. Or you could even say probably more like her sedentary rate. Okay. So then I started going to the gym, started burning a lot of calories. So in the case of Sally's example, we said with her walking, she needed 2,500 calories just to function and walk and have the energy to do that. So that's what I did. I made sure that I ate my maintenance calories. And then I went even beyond those maintenance calories to really bulk up and build. And so for the six months, I went from maintenance calories all the way up to build calories. I got up to 3,400 calories. I think that was my top. 
before I, I dropped like a lot very quickly. I'm not the person where that works really good with. My appetite was absolutely excruciatingly painful and I had a lot of digestive issues myself personally. So I definitely learned, especially when it comes to more carbohydrate fueled, that strategy does not work. I'd done that with keto. It hadn't been a problem, but with the macro balance, I was like, this sucks. Yeah, I never want to cut my calories this drastically while eating a macro balance plan ever again. So with that said, let's dive into what I see helps individuals change the way their body looks and what I've found to be helpful in this space over the last year. So like I said previously, we have maintenance, right? Gain and lost calories. Why does this matter? And how does the metabolism work? So in the example of Sally, she needs 2000 calories in order to just function. If she adds activity to that, she needs whatever the activity is burning in order to just function. So in the case of Sally, she needed that 2,500 calories per day to function with her walking at 10,000 steps and just her heart beating, her hair growing. This is the number one issue that I see most of my clients come to me with when they say, my hair is falling out, my hormones are a mess, I can't sleep, those classic things. It's usually because they're not eating enough constipation, usually not eating enough. So this is a very, very, very common issue. And if you want your body to look different, you have to do different. And different comes, okay, we're talking about today, different comes in two forms. One, food. Two, movement. So we need to understand that in Sally's case, if she is eating 2,500 calories per day, just for her movement and for her to function. If she wants to be on a, let's go drastic, let's do a 20% deficit. Okay, this is a lot actually, like 20% deficits, really hardcore. That would be 500 calories away from Sally's plan. Okay, so again, Sally needs 2000 calories just to survive. Now she's working out a ton and she's burning 500 calories a day. So a 20% deficit of that would be 500 calories. So Sally, in order to lose weight at a 20% deficit, needs to eat 2,000 calories. Let's say Sally's currently eating that those 800 calories. Before Sally even starts working out, Sally's got to start eating more food. So in the episode 443 that we did October 17th with Dr. Brian Raid, we talked about this in we really have to reset the metabolism. And this has to be one of the hardest things to convince individuals to do is to eat more when you're trying to lose weight. And so again, in order for your body to look different, we need to do different. And so a big, big, big part of my macro coaching that I offer clients on a weekly basis, we connect every week to go through their macros and adjust their goals, adjust their macros, adjust their intakes, adjust their everything to allow their body to maintain their current weight. So wherever you're at, let's say in my example, when I started moving my body, I was at 169 pounds. I got down to 166 pounds by just like working out two times a week at home. And then when I just started going to the gym and eating, like I was still not really paying attention to the calories and things like that. I got down to around, I think it was 160 something, 162, give or take. So while I was working on increasing my calories, you remember I said, like in the case of Sally, if she's at 800 calories, we need to bring it all the way up to 2000 before we even start worrying about changing the way her body looks or any of that. In my case, I was around 1200 calories average. So I needed to bring it up to around 2300. And that was my goal. 
So every week I increase my calories by about 100 calories, again, focusing on protein first, increasing protein. Then I made the decision to do a macro balanced approach. So I started dropping down the fat because I was eating a ton of fat and increasing the carbs. If you're planning to do a keto approach, then you would increase the fat. Maybe you're already there and decrease the carbs. For most individuals who are wanting to change the way their body looks and they're already eating keto, it's a matter of dropping a little bit of the fat because they're just eating too much of it and increasing the protein because they're not eating enough of it. Most women average around 40 grams of protein per day. And I gotta say, as we age, we need more and more and more protein. I'm gonna be bold to say minimum, unless you have kidney disease, then don't listen to me on this. But a minimum, we need one gram of protein per one pound that we weigh of our ideal weight. So if you're 180 pounds and your ideal weight is 140, starting at 140 grams of protein. I know that sounds like a lot and feels like a lot, but it's absolutely essential. So step number one is eating enough protein and then deciding where do you want your fat and carbs to be? They both can't be high. So you got to make a choice. Do you want higher carbs, lower fat or lower carbs, higher fat? And so then we get into once you're at your maintenance calories, then you get to make another decision. Do I want to start cutting or do I want to start gaining? It's totally up to you. But ideally, as you're increasing your calories to get up to your maintenance, your body shouldn't change that much. Like it really shouldn't change. You should start seeing muscle growth. You should start feeling the muscles under that fat. And that's a really good thing. You're fueling your body your weight shouldn't be changing much. I've seen the scale shift five pounds, maybe like max eight during your cycle. Cause you know, like days 19 to like five of your cycle, you're just like puffy and holding water. And so usually it's max eight pounds and we lose that around day six, seven, eight, nine of the cycle. And then it comes back, you know, so it's the ebbs and flows of hormones and just cycles and things. But you really shouldn't gain much when you get to those maintenance calories. And through that process, if you go slow enough, the body will be able to like, oh, wow, we're getting more calories in. let's grow hair more. I've been getting a lot of comments on social media about my hair and just how much it's grown. And Yes, the collagen supplement I'm on from Modir, BioCell Pure, I'll include a link in the show notes because it's been like incredible for my hair. It's just like incredible. I think another big part of it is eating enough and consistently enough. And so that needs to be a really big piece of it. So again, once you get to that maintenance calories, in the case of the Sally example, once she's at that 2000 calories, her body really shouldn't have gained weight. The scale should be pretty consistent, maybe up five to eight pounds, which I know sounds like a lot, but it's going to be cut really, really quickly because she's gaining all that muscle and her body's already changing. Then you get to decide. And in my case, I decided to gain So for a bunch of months, I just ate like an exorbitant amount of food, got up to the 3,400 calories and then decided, okay, I'm ready to lose. I'm ready to lose. And then cut it down like way too quickly, which I don't generally recommend. Now from your maintenance calories, in the case of Sally's example, again, we said once she's working out, she's burning 2,400 calories a day. Her deficit is 500 calories at 20% of a deficit, which is a big deficit. I wouldn't go further than 20%. I find 10% is like very doable. 15 is uncomfortable. 20 is torture. Okay. So it's totally up to you and what kind of person you are. In the case of Sally, her cut is going to be a 20% deficit, which means that she's going to be eating 2000 calories per day. 
And that's kind of it. And then it's just faith. It's faith in the process. It's faith in yourself. It's faith in the workouts and not comparing yesterday's progress to the day before's progress or even last month's progress. You really, really need to look in a broad, broad, broad timeline to determine whether or not you're doing a good job. So let's talk a little bit about the tools that I've used to assist with some of these changes and encourage myself along the way. So I really, 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 really love weighing myself on a daily basis. I know this sounds absolutely ridiculous because how stressful is that? But I found it very encouraging when I jump on the scale and I'm like, ooh, today's gonna be a good day. I ate so well yesterday and then I'm up like two pounds. I'm like, what gives, man? It helps reinforce that there's no way that I gained two pounds of weight overnight. So there has to be another explanation like water weight, okay? So it's been helpful to just see the trends on a weekly basis, the ups, the downs, and to really reinforce that overall the trend goes down, but there are ebbs and flows and everything. And ultimately, yes, I think my body at 169 pounds was too heavy. It was not healthy for me. Just if you look at my lifestyle and how I was eating and taking care of myself and not moving, that 169 pounds didn't need to be there. But let's say that throughout all my body changes over the next three years and gaining muscle and everything, I end up back at 169, but it's all muscle. Cool. Don't care. But I really find the jumping on a scale on a daily basis to just reinforce that this thing is constantly going to change is helpful for me. A little while back, I was sharing how I use apple cider vinegar to keep me from having acne. And then a bunch of people reached out like, what do you mean apple cider vinegar helps with your acne? So one of the main reasons I get acne is because I'm stressed and it lowers my hydrochloric acid, which then lowers my ability to break down food, which then affects my gut, which then shows up on my skin. So I've been using Paleo Valley's apple cider vinegar complex to like nip this in the bud for years. It helps with cravings. It helps with blood sugar, skin, complexion, increases hydrochloric acid, digestion and function and indigestion. It's made with organic ingredients to minimize pesticide exposure. It's easy to take. It's just one capsule. It's made with apple cider vinegar, lemon, turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and Paleo Valley has a 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee. So if you're looking for something to just help with cravings, blood sugar, your complexion, increase your hydrochloric acid, help with your digestion, maybe you're adding apple cider vinegar to your meals or on the side and it's just not convenient, head on over to paleovalley.com keto to get 15% off your order. Again, that's paleovalley.com keto for 15% off. I found also when I was going through the, do you remember in the case of Sally where she was eating 800 calories a day and she really needed to get up to 2000? A lot of my clients have had some pretty good experiences with Lumen and I've used it personally. I don't feel like it's super awesome, <laughs> but it definitely helps with having an encouragement to eating more and feeling confident in those decisions. And I found that really, really helpful when I was getting going and encouraged me to eat more. And it was really helpful for me to have like a little app that wasn't really focused on calories or intakes or those sorts of things and really just focused on points towards certain foods. And I found in the beginning that was really helpful. And I found a couple of clients who were just very, very under eating and couldn't do the weekly check-ins with me with macro coaching 
we used the Lumen and had some really good success with that. Another tool I use that I really, really enjoy, especially if you go for the macro balancing approach, and I mean, gosh, even the keto approach, it is quite helpful, is wearing a CGM. Now, I find the Levels app to be the most cost-effective CGM option available right now. They're also doing some work with Dexcom, meaning it's a Bluetooth-enabled a little CGM that does auto-updates to your phone. With previous options, you have to tap your phone to your arm every eight hours. And I got to say, it is impossible when I'm sleeping. I sleep 10 hours easily a night. I just require it. I am a hot wreck if I don't. And so I would always lose two hours of data every day because I just would not get up to scan my arm to get my glucose. That's ridiculous. So I'll include a link in the show notes for that. It's levels.link slash KDP. When it comes to the CGM, what I've used that for specifically is understanding the amount of carbohydrates I need around my training. Being macro balanced, I found that I needed carbohydrates a couple before, a couple after in order to feel my best. In the case of keto, it'll be the opposite for you. It'll be how much fat do you need before and after your training to feel good. And so the CGM can be really helpful for showing where your lows are. And even if you need a bedtime snack, I found that really helpful and encourages you to move after eating. That was a big, big, big one. By the end of wearing my CGM during the macro balancing approach, I was walking after almost every meal. And so that just encouraged me to get my steps and I would see that my glucose was increasing. I'd be like, oh, I gotta go move. And so that really, really helped split up my step goal and walk after meals. So what my step kind of schedule looks like, now it's different often, but I'll just kind of give you an example of how I get to the 13,000 every day because it sounds like a lot. And even when I say that out loud, I'm like, how the heck do I do that? But it's actually quite easy. So in the morning before I eat anything or do anything, I go for a 30 minute walk with my dog. I turn on a podcast usually one from my church, and I'll listen to a sermon. And I'll do a 30-minute walk with my dog. And so that's already 3,000 steps. Then I'll do a 30-minute walk while working, usually after having some food. And so I'll do that on my little tread thing that I got here. I don't know what to call it, like a mini treadmill tread thingy, 7% incline, really difficult. And then another 30 minutes while working, usually in the afternoon, Again, usually after a snack or that sort of thing. And then 30 minutes before bed when I walk the dog. Our dog was actually losing so much weight from walking with me so much that we had to increase her food. So that's kind of how I break up my step goal and walk after meals. And yeah, I find that when I do that, in addition to just walking around the house and walking to parking, I get to the 13,000 steps most days. On rest days like today, I'll still end up getting to 10,000 usually, but I really try to at least once a week on a rest day, kick it at like 6,000 steps, just really give myself some recovery. Okay, so in this kind of topic, there's how soon should I walk after a meal? Now, this depends on the fat and fiber and carb ratio overall. The more fiber you have in the meal, the less likely your glucose is to spike. The less fiber, the more your glucose is to spike. The more fat, the less glucose is to spike. And the carb ratio overall. So if you do like a lot of protein and moderate carb and quite a lot of fat, you probably won't spike as much as a lower fat, lower protein, higher carb ratio. Like a drastic example is a cinnamon bun. It's going to spike a whole bunch versus a steak, right? 
And so just understanding the ratios there, the more carbohydrates, the less fiber, the less fat, the more the spike. Now I find fiber will help slow down the spike. But if you do, let's say like chickpea pasta, which will have a little bit of fiber in it and protein, and then you have some meat sauce, it's probably going to make your glucose spike a little bit slower than something like white rice with broccoli and beef. Okay. So in that case, you really just have to start when you're wearing your CGM, as you start to see it increase, I usually find 15 minutes after a meal plan to go for a 30 minute walk and you'll be just fine. So if you choose to do more of a macro balance to your body recomposition goals, and you're like, I just want to see kind of what this looks like and how I feel off keto, I'll save you the trouble. It feels terrible. No, I'm just kidding. I think everyone should give different eating styles a trick. I was actually thinking about this the other day of like, I think it matters less about what we're eating and like the eating style we choose, whether it's keto or macro balanced, or I wouldn't go as crazy as like high carb, but like paleo or primal, it's really the dedication you put into it, the consistency you put into it and your movement around that is way, 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 way more important than the eating style that you choose. Though, now that I'm in this cut and have been since around July, I'm getting more and more and more into keto. And I gotta say, I feel pretty good. I really didn't enjoy eating all those carbohydrates. Like, yeah, it was fun, but like, I actually didn't feel that great. And so I'm excited to kind of get back into it. Okay, so another piece that I wanna talk about if you decide to go more of the balanced approach, the macro balanced approach is glyphosate. So here's the problem with the macro balanced approach. It's a very common one when we're body recomposition. If you look on like Instagram and basically anyone that does body recompositioning, generally they do a macro balanced approach. So they're going to be eating a pretty balanced amount in grams, or rather I should say in calories of fat, protein, and carbohydrate. And so the food quality isn't always the best. And so oats and rice are used a lot. And oats and rice have, well, oats has a ton of glyphosate, which is a major issue that a lot of people aren't paying attention to that can cause a lot of issues in the gut, in the kidneys. It's something that I've prioritized in our life to just get out of as many foods as possible. And so looking for glyphosate-free oats is important. I really like One Degree. They sell them at Costco for right now. I always load up every time because I I know Costco likes to just make things disappear one day. And then arsenic in the rice. Arsenic is very, very, very common in rice and rice products if you're gluten-free. Also, you need to be cognizant of any of the breads and things that you're using. And it's just, as you're increasing your carbs, it's just easy to eat things like rice and gluten-free bread. And all of a sudden, you're loading your body full of arsenic. And as somebody who's had arsenic poisoning that's led to a whole bunch of issues, maybe just skip that. So I really like the Lundberg Organic California rice. The US-based rice will have less arsenic in it than the other stuff. So a big part of this is that decision, right? Once Sally gets up to 2,000 calories and she's at maintenance and then she starts working out and now she's using actually 2,000 calories as her cut amount, there's a decision she needs to make of whether or not she's gonna do a macro-balanced approach or if she's gonna do a keto approach and like what's going on. I find knowing your oxidation status is by far the best way to kind of know which way you should go. And so your oxidation status is something that we can determine by using a hair tissue mineral analysis. The oxidation status is determined by 
your nervous system function, your thyroid activity, and your adrenal activity. So when your nervous system is in something called, it's the autonomic state really is what we're looking for. So when it's in a parasympathetic dominant state, we're more slow oxidizers. In addition to, let's say you have slow thyroid activity and slow adrenal activity, you're probably going to benefit from a high carbohydrate diet or a higher carbohydrate and lower fat diet. Not like super high, like don't go crazy, cherry turnovers time, but you know what I'm saying. And then if your nervous system is more in a sympathetic dominance, you're probably going to have fast oxidation, which is usually going to come with fast thyroid activity and fast adrenal activity. And there's different combinations of this, but ultimately we want to be more in a parasympathetic state. We don't want to be in a sympathetic dominance. We don't want to be in dominant in anything. We kind of want to be right in the middle, but a little bit more of the parasympathetic, okay? Like we don't want to go super sedative and wrecking our metabolism, creating a pear-shaped body structure. That's like on the far end of the parasympathetic side of things. And then the sympathetic side of things is more apple-shaped body structure with fast oxidation. And so we kind of want to be in the middle. But I found using the hair tissue mineral analysis to determine what oxidation state an individual is in is being really, 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 really helpful in us understanding when we need to make that decision of, do we want to do macro balance? Do we want to do keto? Do we want to just do a low carb approach, moderate protein, those sorts of things. So the hair tissue mineral analysis actually gives us a really good indication based on metabolic factors, what kind of approach you're going to be doing, what kind of approach is going to be best. So we covered a lot in today's episode. I feel like I'm feeling good about this. A couple of resources that I'll include in the show notes include the continuous glucose monitor from Levels. If you can go into Google, you can really just type in levels.link slash KDP. That's pretty easy. I talked a little bit about macro coaching and even hair tissue mineral analysis testing. You can find more about that by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash coaching. And then I also talked about the pure biocell, which I'll include a link in the show notes for that because it's like elemental PQR, one, two, three. It's not actually that, but like it's complicated. <laughs> and I think that's about it. So I hope that I convinced you that when somebody asks you what you're doing with your body, you're going to say to them, I'm trying to make it look different, not I'm trying to lose weight because weight loss sometimes comes at a cost. And what you want to do is make your body look different. And I can guarantee you, if your magic number, whatever your magic number is, if you at this current weight look different, your weight wouldn't matter to you. I can guarantee you that. It's really about how you feel and how you look. The scale doesn't matter. And so stop chasing. I will do anything to make the scale move and start thinking, how can I change the way I look? And how we do that based on this conversation that we had today, there's a bunch of other things that I could share with you, but I'm starting to lose my voice, is how do I eat differently to support muscle building? And how do I build muscle? How do I move my body in a way that's going to achieve these goals? So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'll be back here next week with another one. Bye. Thanks for listening. Join us next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Looking for more resources? Go to healthfulpursuit.com for keto meal plans, weight loss programs, low-carb recipes, and oodles of free resources to get you going. 
The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representation or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 